podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Ryan, as an extreme introvert, mm-hmm. I've been self quarantining before it was cool. <laughs> I saw that tweet the other day. <laughs> you know, uh, well, we've got a lot to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk about tech problems, and I'm not talking about bad phone reception or or <laughs> slow download speeds. No, today we're gonna we're gonna discuss the disconnection between designers and users, producers and consumers, tech elites, and the rest of us. Uh, you see, our, our technology might be making things more convenient for us, but it's also creating new problems, which is why Ramesh Srinivasan is here today. Mm. Ramesh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. I love the podcast, and so the fact that I get to join you all in person makes me really happy. Oh, that's awesome. So thank you guys for cool. having me. Yeah, no, we're, we're honored to have you. By the way, I should say, welcome, simpletons. Uh, my name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And we are the minimalists. All right, man, we got to get into it today. We got a lot of stuff to cover. Ramesh, you are a professor at UCLA, a Department of Information Studies, but also you wrote a book. And I've got it right here for our YouTube audience. It's called Beyond the Valley. And we're going to answer some audience questions today. That's really how we, we approach the podcast. But before we do that, I wanted to talk to you. It, it seems to me that you wrote this book to try to re-inject humanity into our technology because right now uh, that seems to be lacking yeah it's a progressive book it's an optimistic book because who creates technology human beings create technology and technologies in turn shape and impact us on individual levels psychological levels emotional levels and obviously as we see more and more systemic levels whether it's their economic or their political or their cultural so the the reality that human beings create technology in their image creates the opportunity for us to think about what kinds of technologies can we transform and shape and introduce or modify even um, to really lift everybody up. Because that's the major concern uh, that Beyond the Valley looks at, my last book, is it's not a book like many others that are merely critical of the way things are in the status quo. You know, we all remember the internet 10 years ago. It was pretty different. It's really about how we are at this inflection point. We have this profound opportunity to get things in a direction where workers, people of color, women, indigenous peoples, you know, like the 99%, like all of us actually, really, Mm -hmm. I think we all are in that category, (laughs) can be lifted up through technology rather than the current game, which is uh, disorienting surveillance, psychological and political manipulation, Mm -hmm. addiction, Right, we were talking about dopamine addiction, dopamine-fueled addiction, and uh, potentially the uh, replacement of many workers as well, and Mm. the economic disenfranchisement of that. So I'm tackling a lot in this book, but the book is written for a completely mainstream audience, and it has that optimist progressive bent to it. Mm. And and that's because I really believe that there are a lot of solutions and pathways forward where we can get on a good track. Ones that support businesses, including large businesses, mm-hmm. including you know the Googles and Facebooks and so on, mm-hmm. but not in a zero-sum way. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main problem. A lot 
of our lives, and this isn't just about technology, but a lot of our lives in Western society, um, in our in our economic systems, we're really coming to bear with this all. You know, with mm-hmm. the political situation right now, is like my gain is your loss. Yeah. But we also know as human beings that we know we can get into that competitive fight or flight mentality. We're wired that way, right? I mean, you guys, I've heard your podcast. You guys mm-hmm. talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. But we also know that there's a great amount of joy that we can experience when we engage in a way that's more compassionate. Where like, you know, I see you're all, I, I give you both a smile. I think about technologies or just my own actions that elevate you both. Mm-hmm. And I feel great about it. And so we are, you know, I want to, I want to kind of take that sort of, if you will, spiritual and psychological and emotional principle and apply it to my, to my domain, which is technology and digital media and the future of technology. I love and, it. I love yeah. it. I, I, what I really like is it's, it's a balanced view. It's not, you're not a Luddite. No. You're not saying, hey, get rid of all technology, but the way we're using it right now could certainly be used a little bit different to uh, bring society up, to help connect us more instead of really it's kind of disconnecting us right now in a, in a lot of ways you know i started off with a, a corona joke uh the coronavirus and uh you know, basically saying you know, i'm self-quarantining just because i'm in it. but we are th- there is this sort of technology seems to be optimized for panic in a way that um especially social media in particular and, and so there I saw this thing from Seth Godin recently, and he said, you know, no one ever looks in the rear view and says, I wish I would have panicked more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, you might say, I wish I would have prepared more, yeah. but there is, we, we need to delineate. We often conflate panic with, with preparation. We need to delineate the two and say, it is good to be prepared for something. Clearly, you can't prepare for everything. And, and, and so we also have to realize that maybe we're also... We're, we're, we're feeding into the panic and technology is optimized to do that, right? Yeah, panic and hysteria often produce anxiety and those are actually very those those are that's a very disabling condition, yeah. right? It actually makes you unable to act and it makes you indecisive. Um, yes, you know, what has happened really with technology and the internet is, you know, a couple points, right? First, the internet was publicly funded. It actually started at UCLA where right. I'm a professor um, and I actually launched this book on the 50th anniversary of the internet itself, on Morning Joe, on MSNBC, <laughs> and on NPR, like national NPR. It was amazing and crazy. Um, so we have this pattern in this country where costs are publicly invested in, right? Like our roads, our, our you know National Institute of Health, National Science Foundation, taxpayers pay for it. Mm-hmm. And then often the profits are privatized. Mm-hmm. And then the costs from like private abuse, whether it's intentional or not, are socialized again, right? Mm. So, so like what we need to do is recognize how that's a toxic situation for a society and even for an individual, for a 99% category individual, which is everybody pretty much, right? Mm. And so what happened with the tech companies is, you know, all our data, all our content, all our contributions, you know, like our posts and so on, our YouTube, our videos we upload to YouTube, they all, you know, got put onto these platforms that were monetizing all of our interactions and the capture of data. But here's the key point, which really answers your question is, in my mind, is they had to figure out algorithmically and computationally a model 
by which they could do one thing that every business wants, which is to keep you engaged, right? Like any yeah. television station, the goal of the TV station is to keep you watching the TV station, right? Yeah. YouTube is not different than a TV station in that sense, right? So the key point is there was an understanding not necessarily even human created, but it was sort of like I built this software system where I or an algorithmic system where I say, what do I need to do to keep, you know, Ryan, um, you know, just engaged, locked yeah. in? What do I need to do to keep you locked in? Mm. And one thing we know as human beings that keeps us locked in, that keeps us engaged, that keeps our attention, that might even turn into addiction is content that is inflammatory, and more and more inflammatory. So that's why 70 plus percent of time, just with the YouTube example, but the same example you know, pertains to Facebook, Instagram, all of them, pretty much all of them. 70% of the time on YouTube, we watch clips based on the recommendation system mm -hmm. that YouTube provides. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what those recommendations are, they're usually more and more down a rabbit hole of being more inflammatory and more dopamine optimized. But like, isn't that our absolutely. fault? Because yeah. because uh, you can do the experiment. You can go click on puppy videos for a month, and it will continue to serve up cute puppy videos. And so one of the, the problems is the tech companies are certainly responsible, but aren't we also responsible for using these platforms more responsibly? Yeah, great question. I mean, we have to maintain, we have to really develop. And one of the big proposals in Beyond the Valley I make is we really need to, you know, reform and transform our educational system so that digital literacy and, and literacy not meaning knowing how to use a computer, but literacy meaning understanding our experiences in relation to technology and information, that mindfulness, that has to be inculcated within all of us at a young age. And, that ha and we have to transform our educational system that way. So part of that is us and our burden. But it's not just puppy video to puppy video. It's Donald Trump rally to neo-Nazi content. Mm. It's an algorithmic rabbit hole of more and more inflammatory content. So one of my colleagues likes to say, she gave a big TED talk. She's like, YouTube kind of thinks, YouTube is kind of is like, it's as if you're never hardcore enough. <laughs> right, right. right. Same thing. So yeah. like if, if yeah. you, you yeah. Uh, I know you work for the Bernie Sanders campaign. Yeah. And, and so that can also lead, if you go down that rabbit hole, it can, it can lead toward Absolutely. far, far left as well. Absolutely. And so it becomes a problem on both sides where we are segregating audiences, pushing people far left, far right, far extreme, even if it's not political. And, and that becomes a problem. Let's dive into some of these questions we have here today. Our first one is from Elizabeth in... Newburgh, Maine. How do I keep from going absolutely insane with cell phones, email, all the new digital stuff? I would really love to hear some comment on this because it's the stuff is wrecking our lives. You know, it's fascinating because these things are enhancing our lives and simultaneously wrecking our lives, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah. for someone like Elizabeth, who is just—it seems to me she's she's mostly overwhelmed right now, and maybe something negative has happened to her uh, because of technology. But how do we how do we keep it from overtaking our lives, but still experience the benefits from from actually using the technology? There's a positive correlation between technological immersion especially amongst our youth. So this is even more important with our youth. And this is a great question by Elizabeth um, and depression and definitely anxiety. So what we have to do is 
humanize technology, which means even on the level of us as users, like Elizabeth, make decisions about when to use technology and how. And we got to be strong about it, right? Like just like we are strong about maybe cleaning up our place or like getting to work on time or like, you know, just having our having our act together, right? Some discipline. We yeah. have to have some discipline. And so I have some friends and th- this has become wildly successful. Um, who had developed these digital detox camps, mm-hmm. or the one was called Camp Grounded, like which is like summer camp in the redwood forest with hot springs. You know, very California I love this idea. This I great. mean, very California yeah. in uh, it, like for adults. You know, and what you try, what we what we were working on, like they're friends of mine, and I kind of cultivate this with my students. I ask my students in the first week of class when the stakes aren't that high, there aren't midterms, there aren't finals. You know. Take 12 hours without any technology. And they said, can I sleep during those 12 hours? I was like, I don't mean a 12-hour sleep period. I mean 12 <laughs> hours of your waking life, you uh-huh. know? So they were like, one of them was like, oh, I surfed for like, you know, two-thirds of the 12 hours. I was like, right on, man. How was your experience of cognition, of processing? So here's the other thing Elizabeth can do and all of us can do is observe how we feel and how we think and how we process and how we communicate and how we emote, without those okay so look we i love technology i'm a former engineer i used to build ai systems right like i have mad love for technology i love i'm i'm a stimulation junkie but i also know that my nervous system can get fried even though i can i can handle a lot and i know that that makes me unable to be present to be here now right as ramdas puts it mm-hmm. right you know so i mean i just i just really uh, think we have an opportunity here as users but also we need to pressure the tech companies and there's there's some of this occurring to give us opportunities and applications to monitor our usage to to make it easier for us to turn these things off mm-hmm. i also think that we need to have other boundaries like maybe our phones shouldn't be on us all the time you know what i mean yeah. maybe alexa shouldn't be in the bedroom you know yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> listening to everything it's funny i have oh, one yeah. thing written down here it's uh, with these with all these tools of technology comes great responsibility and that's what you're talking about like we have to take responsibility in how we use these tools it's interesting though i you said something that made me think about how, like with food, we've got the nutrition label on the back, yeah. but with technology, it's Great like point. this, it's this floodgate and there are no, there's not a lot of regulation on it. I don't know no. where that regulation is. I don't know what that food label looks like with technology, but if somehow we can make ourselves more aware of the time it's taking, of uh, the attention that it's taking, what it's actually costing us, maybe it would help people like you and me and Elizabeth and Josh to, uh, to, to be able to take responsibility a little bit better. Yeah, and many things we can do are regulatory in their nature. And we, you know, I talk a lot about that in Beyond the Valley, and we can get into that, like what we need to ask the companies to do and perhaps demand for them to do because they're monetizing all of these exchanges and they're the wealthiest companies in the history of the world, mm-hmm. many so, of them. But I do want to say this. We don't have to even shame ourselves into having these boundaries. Right. We can be playful about it. Mm. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's frame it out of that instead of being like, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm overwhelmed. I'm screwed by all this. I, I got to like do better. Instead, like, let's just try, let's just like play like for three or four hours. What does it feel like to, you know, take, to take an hour away and an hour on? 
You know, and just write about it, journal it, mm-hmm. yeah. think about it, you know? Mm-hmm. I really appreciate the little stoical experiments, whether it's removing technology just for 12 hours, basically one waking day even. You know, Ryan and I have done different experiments over the last decade. Like, I went without a phone for a couple months, and you mm. learn there are no pay phones at all anymore. <laughs> uh, and you learn about uh, your relationship to technology and to friends. I went without a TV for nine years. I went without home internet for five years. Wow. But you don't have to take these drastic steps. It can be as simple as, hey, take 12 hours. Or what our friend Cal Newport talks about in yeah. Digital Minimalism. Yeah, I know that He talks about um, the 30-day digital declutter. And so it's not completely removing all technology, but it's removing all uh, non-essential technologies. And he helps people identify that in, in, in that book as well. Uh, Elizabeth, I'm going to send you a copy of Beyond the Valley. I think you'll find a lot of value in it. Uh, so, Sean, if you could reach out to her and send her a copy, I'd really Thanks appreciate it. Our next question is from Jim in Chicago. With regards to advertisements, how do you go about navigating the internet or watching TV? Do you try to block ads online? Do you have any software? Do you have any tools used to block ads on TV, on the internet, um, anywhere else, so that you're less prone to consumer advertising and uh, doing things out of impulse? Or do you just live in the world and deal with it? So we, we, on this podcast, we think advertisements suck. So we don't do any advertisements uh, and we are 100% uh, listener supported. And that has been a really good model for us because I can't imagine me hopping on here and, and reading about mattresses or penis pills. Or, <laughs> and, and, Wait, what are these penis pills you're talking about? <laughs> but no, you're, Josh is absolutely right. Like it, it would be really hard for us to be like, hey, simplify your life brought to you by Casper. Like, right. I mean, yeah, it it's, wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, and now a message from yeah, our like corporate the sponsor. Show right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. and so <laughs> while Ryan and I find that advertisements don't necessarily align with our personal values, I also recognize that the average American sees three to 5,000 advertisements a day, mm. and we have all these discrete bits of input. We're not mm. going to eliminate them altogether. So the thing I'm going to say to Jim, and I would, of course, love, love to hear your perspective here as well. The Jim, with respect to advertisements, you can't, you, you can't just hide yourself in a room like Howard Hughes and, yeah. and pretend you're never going to see another advertisement. However, you can mitigate some of the advertisements you see. So, yes, yes there are ad blockers. You can stop subscribing to magazines that are 100% or 90% or 50% yeah. advertisements. Be careful with the, yeah, the entertainment you're taking in. Yes, the entertainment. So there are platforms that align better with my values. A, a place like Netflix, for example, which is where we put our documentaries because they don't do any advertisements, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Ryan and I have done several TV deals and where we've just decided like this isn't the path for us because I can't imagine us putting a show on on Bravo and then every eight minutes there's two minutes worth of commercials like hey simplify your life brought to you by Tide right. um, it, it doesn't it doesn't align with what we're trying to communicate yeah. however I do recognize that there are advertisements in the world and, and some are better than others I'm not saying they're inherently evil but uh, they are they are somewhat of a problem yeah. in and are heavily mediated my, culture. My favorite now is like a lot of these platforms you can pay to not have ads. Yeah. Which makes sense. It's like yeah, so like much better. Yeah, you do something like Spotify, like, you know, they have to pay the artists, like they have to make some money. So if if you're getting it for free, they're going to require something of you. If it's sure. not money, then it's your time and attention. So yeah, I mean a lot of these platforms where you can pay the extra five bucks a month to get rid of ads, totally worth it. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a saying in uh, in tech circles where it's like, if you're not the customer, then you're the product, product. right? Mm. So obviously, like in some ways, on the internet, I mean, the internet is like in in everything, right? Don't think of the internet as like Facebook. Think about the internet as the logic and language by which all human experiences increasingly are mediated, right? Mm. The, 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 inter- that, the interface. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, and it really is. That's why it matters so much, right? It's not about breaking up big tech. It's about how we access bank loans, how we access health insurance, criminal justice or the lack thereof, predictive policing, like all of it is def- is is articulated through the internet. We could talk about that in a minute. But if you're the if you're if you're if you're both the customer and the product, right? So the Netflix model is a subscription model. So you pay and you know they're grabbing your data, but you also know that you're not going to be pumped full of advertisements. But I think another point is that advertising is not the same necessarily as advertising, right? So like being sold soap for seeing something on YouTube is very different than YouTube making predictions about you based on your its determinations of your own psychology and your own anxiety about recommending things to you that trigger your anxiety. So mm. you will see things like, I, I mean, I'll be completely honest, I get like ads on YouTube like prostate cancer. I don't have a single problem with my prostate. Yeah. I get ads about like, you know, lung cancer or like this or that or the other, like almost like predictions of what my worst fears that wow. might be grounded on some realism, but not really, mm-hmm. could be. Right. So this is kind of very consistent with what we were talking about earlier, where the recommendation systems are built upon a rabbit hole of descending and and actually augmenting anxiety. Right. Inflammatory algorithmic rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. Right. So be clear, you won't ever see an ad on any of our videos on YouTube. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you're welcome. There was no (laughs) advertisement before you clicked play. Yeah. So, I mean, look, and also here's the other thing, like the like a lot of Americans, you know, we understand that like sometimes for free services like watch you know, we watch TV or whatever, we get ads. But this but the ads ad is not an ad again yet, yet again. Right. So like the the data that is captured from us may not just simply transpose into advertising and like ads we see, but can actually uh, fuel various engines of funneling us information and content that might not even be explicitly advertising, but based upon politically or economically manipulating us. Mm-hmm. So this is a key point, right? So like, did, did what was the, what the Russian government did an ad? Well, it, you, they used our data. Hmm. Was what Cambridge Anal- Analytica did an ad? No, but they used our data. And it's in a sense, and, and in a sense, what we're always talking about is marketing psychometrics here and big data fueling marketing Ideas, so that in a sense could be about the soap ad, but it could actually be about stuff that's way more pernicious. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and that's so, the problem here. Yeah, absolutely. We think that most advertising is pernicious because it is it has really created this environment where, especially with our technology, where we expect everything for free, and I think that's especially pernicious because it is not free. Uh, someone is or thousands of people are being paid full time salaries, and there are really uh, uh, expensive demographers and statisticians who are working really hard to aggregate your eyeballs onto their product or service. And more and more, actually, those people are going to lose their jobs, too, because it's all being built into algorithmic, self-learning, recursive systems. Oh, wow, which is even more scary. When I was in grad school at MIT, we were building these kinds of systems. That is unbelievable. Which is why I'm no longer an engineer. Wow. We could be five years away from that lung cancer ad 
actually being the thing that tells you you have lung cancer mm. as opposed to it, it being so good at predicting your patterns because you've done X, Y, and Z and 17 other things and, and everyone else who has done this, there's a 90% chance those people now have lung cancer, prostate cancer, or whatever. Yeah. And, and think about behaviorally how that impacts, you know, on a very like basic philosophical, I would say even emotional and spiritual level, the agency of the human. Yeah. If, if, if I'm constantly being pumped with anxiety producing ads that are do not represent the status quo do not represent where i think my life is heading and i'm being pumped by with this stuff doesn't that change my own relationship to myself yeah mm-hmm. your every day-to-day actions absolutely it's crazy because if you think about advertisements it's always it's always been well after post-industrial age it started creating this need and we're just getting better and better at creating needs for people and making people feel like they have to have whatever it is we're advertising to them. you're incomplete without X product, right? And, or without upgrading, or w- without you know this service that that my my company is offering, you as an individual are incomplete. And the thing that will complete you is if you give me your credit card information so that I can mail you this product. Yeah, and we get we get back to a lot of what you know your podcast and you and both your work is about, which is you know there are these we, we know as humans and we have these experiences we can play with them again. Of the less is more, you know. Yeah, yes, Amen. indeed. Yeah. So, Jim, I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Essential. It's a Thanks, it's an Jim. essay collection of uh, 12 different areas of intentional living, but one of those is how to use our technology more responsibly. As we've talked about so far, it is up to us to try to convince and and sometimes demand companies be more responsible with our data or the way that they attempt to aggregate our eyeballs, but it also starts with us. We have some good tips in the technology chapter in there. Sean, if you could reach out to Jim, send him a copy of Essential. It's our longest book. if he wants the audiobook version, if you like our podcast, you'll like the audiobook version. Or if you want the book book or the ebook, we're happy to send those to you as well. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages. Text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. Those texts go straight to both of our phones. We can't answer every question on the air, but we do our best to reply to as many texts as possible. During the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I, we, we attempt to answer people's questions with just a short, shareable, less sure. than 140 character response, <laughs> but really we just ramble on a bit. <laughs> Sean tweezes out something beautiful. Uh, we call them minimal maxims. He puts them in the show notes so people can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if they'd like now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place minimalmaxims.com all right our question is from ignacio what do you think about big tech selling user information to advertising firms yeah Mm. yeah so so yeah let's talk about that so so it, it isn't just us giving up our data to a a tech company but then quite often they turn around and sell it to someone, right? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And actually, it's not simply big tech, right? Like I could harvest your Facebook data or your Instagram data. That's what Cambridge Analytica did. Mm-hmm. But I, it's not just that. It's that I can, I, can get, I can buy your credit card records as well. It's unbelievable. So that is, wow. that is through what we call third-party data brokers. Multi, huge, huge, multi, multi, multi-million dollar business. And that's what Cambridge Analytica did. So I like talking about them, not even necessarily because I think they're particularly unique but they're a symptom they're well they're they're really a function of this larger problem right yeah. of, of of the fact that our digital what we call our digital footprints right we leave data trails everywhere we do because we have these phones but actually almost anything we do any exchange is somehow digitally recorded in some form or another so yes mm. it's about selling it's 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 about how the data can be 
um, monetized through sales to advertisers, but it's actually about how that data can be monetized through sales to almost anybody, including a foreign government, including you know which we're trying to rein in, including a shady organization like Cambridge Analytica, which worked all over the world. That Steve Bannon was you know VP of. Um, they worked in. I had off the record contact with them for multiple years, mm-hmm. uh, and I almost got them on the record right when they imploded. I was flying to London to do an interview with Alexander oh, wow. Nix um, because I knew what they were up to in Mexico and Kenya, and I had friends in the Mexican government who introduced me to them while I was like slamming them in my talks. They were in the audience. You that know? whole Cambridge Analytica thing is crazy. Uh, there's yeah. a documentary on Netflix. I forget the name. Great hack. Yeah, yeah my gr- friends made it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. that was like uh, it just yeah. blew my mind on how people can use our data and manipulate us i mean to the extent of i mean really telling us what party we want to vote for it's it's wild um yeah and so my my point really is that we need disclosure around what data is being collected about us that's one i've been calling for what i call a digital bill of rights i published a piece in the guardian like two weeks ago or so on this i'm putting it i'm trying to embed a lot of this into the sanders campaign um i've been writing op-eds for all mainstream media everywhere i can and progressive media of course and um you know what i'm asking for is people should know what's being collected about them we need to know why we see what we see at least on a heuristic level right this is optimized for these attributes about yourself uh people need to have the ability to let third parties like tech companies but also you know shady third parties like data brokers uh to say hey if we're no longer using your service you have to destroy our data. Mm. So it, Mark Zuckerberg cleverly likes to say that our data is our own. But when we say we stop our Facebook account or our Instagram account, remember Facebook owns Instagram, or right. our WhatsApp account, Facebook owns WhatsApp, they still have the data on us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they keep that data. So they should be able to destroy our data. We should be able to, we, we need to think about AI systems and who has uh, design power over them, audit power over them. There's a lot of stuff I'm talking about here. Well, um, it seems to me, yeah. it seems to me that the the thing that this area in particular is the most ripe for regulation. Yeah. And I'm not a, a fan of willy nilly regulation, regulating things just to regulate. Uh, I, I'm no. not a, a fan of big authoritarian interventions on things. But sure. there are times when regulation makes sense. Uh, you're getting ready to go to Brazil pretty soon, and Sao Paulo is the third largest city in the world, and they have outlawed billboards throughout their city. Mm-hmm. And you, you have a different experience driving through a city. The same actually happens in, in Vermont. If you drive through Vermont, for example, there are no billboards. And then all of a sudden you you make your way into Massachusetts, and all, you're, all of a sudden you're like, there's something different about this. <laughs> what? And you realize, like, oh, it's everyone who is yeah, – they're, they're, Billboards are the original pop-up ads. You sure. tweet that, Sean. That's a, yeah, a minimal a maxim. Uh, but my, my pithy answer is is just uh, advertisements suck. And I think we need to think about that because they they are, are dangerous. When you realize that they are attempting to make you feel inadequate, it can help you get back some of that control. I'd also like to just briefly say that what I'm, what I'm calling for is not sort of a you know, stemming business and, and economic and entrepreneurial interests, I'm actually calling for a, met- a method or a mechanism by which we can create a more competitive free market around everything from, you know, tech and social media to search. That might be difficult in those areas, but even internet service providers. One of the things our campaign has looked at is ways to incentivize small businesses, uh, municipalities, even collectives to provide internet service and mobile service to create a more competitive market. Because you guys may not know this, but our internet, how the speed we pay for bandwidth, whether it's mobile or broadband, 
uh, per the cost we pay, right? So mm-hmm. if you look at cost to service level, you know, um, it's ten at least ten times. Some say twenty times, based on some studies, worse than the country of South Korea, mm-hmm. and several times worse than countries like France and Germany. Do you think it's because we don't have the technology? Of course not. We have we invented the internet. This is like. A technological, like you know, this is Athens here. This this country when it comes to the internet, yeah. but it's because there are hidden business models that are that are that are really manipulating and actually are inefficient. Mm-hmm. Inefficient. Yeah. It becomes accidental monopolies in a Precisely. way. Precisely, that's yeah. a great term for it. I think it goes yeah. back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this: is technology is okay, but we have to be more responsible with the way we use it. Uh, my pithy answer is this: society breaks when profit is put ahead of people. And that is where we are at right now. I feel like we are not a people first country. We are a uh, money first country. And look what it's doing to us. Um, yeah, and it's money not for everybody, right? Right. So it's, it's like my, my friend Vikash likes to put it, people, planet, profits. Put Amen. it in that order. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think, I think it's, a, it's a great way to put it because it's not that we should say money is never going to be important. It is right. always going to be you know, part of the, the uh, equation here, right? And it, a big part of how the digital economy can lift everybody up, including business interests, is by creating the capacity for, um, for more small and medium-sized businesses who hire more people, actual people, rather than delegate things to robotic and automated systems. Um, they hire more people than any other enterprises in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, So that's the way we lift everybody up. All right, before we get into our added value segment and our listener tips today, it looks like we have a bunch more surprise questions this week. Yes, indeed. Why do so many conspiracy theories spread online? Ryan and I are going to each come up with at least one new conspiracy theory. <laughs> uh, the internet is watching and recording everything we do, Ryan. Why is that a problem? We're going to talk about that with Ramesh. Uh, how is our technology shaping our politics? How do you resist the social pressures of not using technology? Also, we're going to talk about smartphone addiction and why young people are panicky without their smartphones. Plus, we got a bunch more questions for Ramesh. And if you want to hear all that, Listen to this week's Maximal episode on the Minimalist Private Podcast. That's right. You're currently listening to our weekly Minimal episode, but each week, Ryan and I and our guests, we record an entirely different, much longer Maximal episode on the Minimalist Private Podcast. It's just two bucks, and it is the most honest way for this podcast to earn an income because... We don't believe in advertisements. You know, we think advertisements suck. So we make money only if you find value in and support what we create. By the way, when you subscribe to the Minimalist Private Podcast, you'll receive a personal link so that our maximal episodes play in your favorite podcast app. Find all the details and all the good stuff over at theminimalists.com slash support. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out, Josh. Hey, Josh and Ryan. This is Kristen. I wanted to share a health tip with you and your listeners. Every morning for several years, my routine has started with a glass of hot water with half a lemon squeezed in it. Hot water because the molecules move faster and it acts like a scrub brush through your digestive system. It's like a natural cleanser that allows you to digest your subsequent food and drinks throughout the day more effectively and also so you can absorb nutrients better. It also helps detoxify the liver and you can metabolize and burn fat better. And then of course the vitamin C is a nice boost to the immune system. Hello, this is Sarah Wilkinson from Kent in the UK. Um, I have a photo tip I wanted to share with fellow listeners on their own minimalist journey. I've discovered that I personally really don't like to have anything hung on the wall unless it has sentimental value or practical use, um, which includes photographs. So I started making a calendar at the end of every year, 
which is filled with photos of things I did and places I went that year, which I can reflect on over the following year. Um, Not only does it remind me and reinforce gratitude of what a great year I had, it also helps keep me organised and actually encourages me to create new experiences so that I can fill up my calendar the next year. Um, There are companies out there where you can really personalise the calendar Um, I think this keeps a fresh style and then obviously more importantly um, fresh photos as you flip the calendar over every month and then at the end of the year I let go and recycle the calendar. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Ramesh for joining us today. Check out his book, Beyond the Valley. We'll put a link to his Twitter handle and his website in the show notes as well. And real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. Actually, two things. I wanted to bring up minimalist.org. Many of you may know, but you may not know that we have uh, free meetup groups in 100 cities across eight different countries throughout the world. And uh, what we're trying to do is facilitate interpersonal relationships in person, Mm. but using technology to do that, right? And we even have an online city. So if there is not a meetup group next to you or near you in a city by you, you can head on over to minimalist.org, find the closest city, or you can join the online city as well and try to connect with some open-minded people, some like-minded people who share similar values to you. Yeah. I mean, Josh and I, all we really try to do is provide you all with support and this is one additional tool that we have provided for you all to to go find support out there if you feel like you're on this minimalism journey by your own or on your own you could go to minimalist.org and, and maybe find some people to, to to join the journey with you yeah and we're not mining your data you go there it's it's yours we don't want anything from you you don't have to uh, sign up for some new service or anything right. like that. Uh, they're just meetup groups that they meet online but they also meet in person and also uh Real quick, I thought I'd at least bring this up. Ryan and I are in the middle of season three of Living Room Conversations. I'm just glad we canceled the uh, Ryan and Josh Move Heavy Things uh, show that we used to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so back in uh, back in our 20s, anytime I'd move, we would, we'd start a new season. Sadly, no one was there to film it. Jordan, where were you? Yeah, man. It was Josh and Ryan Move Heavy Things. <laughs> uh, quite a few seasons of that that never got filmed. God, your dad's medicine chest was like the heaviest thing I've ever had to move in my life. It was like a desk life. slash bookcase oh slash, I, I don't know what it was, heavy yeah. object. Anyway. And, and uh, anyway, yeah, uh, Living Room Conversations. So you can come into our homes uh season three is all in my home but season four will be in ryan's home when we start it back up again there's nine new episodes we're putting out of living room conversations and they're all short episodes most of them are eight minutes or less you can also go back and watch the first two seasons of living room conversations these are all free by the way uh and you can find them on our youtube channel youtube.com slash the minimalist there's 60 episodes in total now with all three seasons so check it out youtube.com slash the minimalist you can follow the minimalist on facebook twitter and instagram at the minimalist if you have a question comment or minimalism tip for our podcast email a voice memo to podcast at the minimalists.com you can comment on this episode on youtube if you want our show notes in your inbox sign up for our email list at the minimalists.com you'll also receive our simple sunday emails and for our added value this week we were just in utah recently ryan we were hanging out with nate pfeiffer and uh, we were finishing the soundtrack for our next Netflix documentary, which is called Less Is Now. And he shared this album with us. And I don't know how to describe this. I was thinking, I hope maybe you, you could help 
help me describe it. Uh, by the way, the title of the, this new album is it's Joshua James and Nate Pfeiffer. They made the album together. Joshua James is one of our favorite artists. Nate is one of our favorite producers. And this album is called Discovering Responsibility Through Fatherhood. Yeah. And it is a kid's album for adults. Or maybe it's an adult album for kids. Yeah. I, either way, like, yeah, they de- like it came with a coloring book mm-hmm. and like the tabs on how to play. Uh, the, it was a, the, the vinyl did at least came with a coloring book. Um, no, I, I think that's a great way to describe it, man. It's a uh, singer songwriter music. Uh, and yeah, it's an adult album for kids. I think that's the way to look at it. And so parents and kids will both like it. Ella has been loving it. Bex has been loving it. We've been playing it for Ella. She got the coloring book out because she actually got the, the vinyl version. She has been begging us to take her to a record store to play the record, though. Gosh, she's such a hipster. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get coffee afterwards? <laughs> Can we get avocado toast afterwards? <laughs> and so I thought maybe today we could play you out with uh, 128 Times by Joshua James and Nate Pfeiffer from their new album, Discovering Responsibility Through Fatherhood. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things and wash your hands and don't touch your face (laughs) the opposite never works (laughs) see you later y'all bye thanks for the support when the rain falls on your window rest your head down on your pillow no there's nothing nothing to fear if the dark makes your little hands shake And your thoughts race like a runaway train Just know that there ain't nothing for you to fear I could tell you 128 times There ain't nothing in here that's hiding at night Here's 129